Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Happy Sunday. Uh, this is Zach Van Norman with Once Upon a Fan bringing you our podcast. And, of course, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Amy. Amy, how are you, darling? Fabulous, darling. Today is my Jacob's birthday. So before I forget, because everybody knows how excited I am that we rewatched Skin Deep this week, I have to say happy birthday. Happy, happy, happy birthday to my Jacob. So, okay, we're good. I'm fabulous. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Happy birthday, Jacob. I've uh, had... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, life is pretty sweet, as usual, uh, I suppose. I mean, granted, now, having said that, it has its usual ups and downs. I face them just as much as anybody else, but life is still pretty good, so can't really complain too much, I suppose. All right, so let's go ahead and get right on into our uh, our podcast here. We've got a regular news roundup to go through, and the first item that we have, of course, is uh, the Shorty Awards are going on right now. And the uh, Shorty Awards are honoring the best in social media. And uh, Once Upon a Fan is going for the Shorty Award for a fan fight. So for everybody who's listening, you know, tell your friends, you know, anybody who likes Once Upon a Time, you know, they should check us out. And then on Twitter, you want to put in, I nominate at Once Upon a Fan for a Shorty Award in hashtag fan because, and then, you know, put in your reason. And for anybody who goes to the website, you know, we've got a lot on there. Um, we do episode, break, you know, weekly roundtables every week, uh, talking about the latest episodes. Uh, we've got fan art, forums, theories, um, all kinds of things, really. Gosh, I mean, we've got a, you know, the auction is ending tomorrow, which we'll get into that in just a second about the auction. But there's a lot to check out. You know, we do a lot of the stuff here on social media. It's we don't get paid for this stuff. It's all for free, everything that we do. So, you know, we love our Oneser community, and, you know, we think that the Oneser community is the best fandom, and so we want to kind of show that at the Shorty Awards by, you know, hopefully getting nominated and winning. So anybody who wants to support us, please go to Twitter and, uh, and nominate us for an award. That would be awesome. That definitely, and it's it's really easy. It's not like one of these award things where you know we have to keep going in and voting and voting and voting. It's actually you only have to tweet one time, so it takes like all of ten seconds to you know fire off a quick shorty award tweet, and that's it. You don't have to go back in and vote over and over again. And I've been kind of keeping up with it online, and unfortunately, oh, I could faint, but. The Justin Bieber fan site right now is ahead of us, so please, for the love of Rumpelstiltskin once earth, please go to Twitter and and jump us ahead of the Justin Bieber fan club because that would be a fantastic Sunday gift for us. Yeah, because nothing against Justin Bieber, but uh, <laughs> you know, once, we feel that once earth, there's a lot more to appreciate about Once Upon a Time, perhaps, than there may be about Justin Bieber. That's just our opinion. So, yeah. Hashtag, just saying, go ahead with that. <laughs> so, yeah, the next thing I want to talk about is the auction. And, uh, Amy, I think that uh, you've got some information about that for us. Right. We've been talking on and off about the auction for a while, and everybody knows that it was up and started last week. Well, it has less than 24 hours to go, and these are the things that we've mentioned before, the autographed items, that fabulous storybook, the signed script from tons of the cast, so there's a tons of really great collectible items on there that I know a lot of people have wanted. Um, if you can't, you know, get onto Facebook or our fan site and go directly through the link to the site, if you happen to just go to eBay, 
you can also search by seller, and it's Once Upon a Fans with no space in between any of the words is the name of the seller, and that also will bring everything up. But you'll see all kinds of stuff. There's actually a queen, evil queen puppet that was handmade that somebody made, and I want that thing so bad, I cannot even tell you. I keep looking at it every single day. I think it's like the best thing ever. I would just randomly, people would think I was totally nuts if I had it, though, because I'd probably be outside, like, you know, talking to people with it and destroying people's happiness with this puppet all day long. So, yeah, there's a lot of fantastic stuff, and it ends in less than 24 hours. So if you guys want to get on there and bid, and if benefits stand up to cancer, so all the money we raise is going to that. So if you guys want to check it out, then definitely do so before it ends tomorrow. Yeah, uh, it's a really good cause. We've got a lot of great stuff. You know, we have autographed items like a script and a replica of Henry's storybook. Um, you know, like like Amy was saying, we've got a bunch of other items up there. One of Laura Foster's dolls is there. Um, I mean, my gosh, there's just so much, and it really is supporting a really great cause. So, um, yeah, please check that out, and hopefully you get a hold of something. You can at least see, the, you know, the kind of things that are being created, and it might inspire you to create something on your own. So it's that. Um, okay, let me see. And then the other thing, too, we've got the uh, the Maxim Hot 100 Awards are up for voting as well right now, and uh, I don't actually have a lot of information on that, to be honest, Amy. I think that you might know a little bit more about that, though. Right. Anybody who's familiar with it, I don't generally subscribe to Maxim. It's not something that comes to the house, but I am familiar, as I think a lot of people are, with the Maxim 100 issue that comes out once a year where they vote for the top 100 women in things like show business, media, things like that. And actually, a few of our cast members are on the nomination list already. Like Jamie Chung is on there. Um, Bex Matter, Rebecca Matter, who's going to be playing our Wicked Witch, she's actually already on there for where you just go in, you can just click on her name. But they also have a write-in site where, or place right at the very top. You can't miss it. It's at the top of the page where you can nominate I've personally, of course, been going in and nominating Lana Perea, who I adore, and uh, Jennifer Morrison. You can nominate Jenny Goodwin. Basically, any of the women from either of our series, Once Upon a Time or Once Upon a Time Wonderland, you can type their name in as a write-in and submit. And it's, the website is maxim.com, and that'll there'll be a link on that page, or you can go actually to maxim.com and then the forward slash hot 100 2014. But um, either way, it'll take you. You'll see there'll be a big link for it. And it's like a really huge deal. They, every time it comes out, they end up talking about it on every entertainment show, every entertainment network. So that's kind of interesting. It's been open for probably about a week, but I think it's going to be going on for a while longer. So there's plenty of time for the ones that are to get in there and vote for our cast members. Sweet. So there you go, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have a lot to say about that. Um, I don't really, just, yeah, I don't really want read Max Magazine or anything, so I don't really have a whole lot to say. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather talk about Skin Deep, to be honest. I'm just going to get it, you know, further on to the next thing. Oh, so the cast is back filming after their holiday break. Um, they've been posting some pictures on social media. Uh, Jennifer Morrison posted a couple of her, and uh, she also posted one of Michael Raymond James. And, yeah, a bunch of other stuff going on. So, yeah. Oh, and also, too, Jenny and Josh tweeted this absolutely fantastic picture of themselves wearing these, like, these hats 
there were also like face masks and like Jenny's was yellow and Josh's was like black and red and white. It was just, they were, I mean, yeah, they were pretty cute. I like little <laughs> funky hats like that, so I thought they were pretty awesome. So, yeah. Definitely, yeah. I don't think I've seen that one. I have seen that Jen Morrison posted. I saw Michael Raymond James. Um, I've seen some that Lana Perea and Sean McGuire, who he plays uh, Robin Hood, um, I've seen a couple of photos that they have posted, but I know they all went back in for filming starting just this past Monday. So I've, again, been avoiding spoilers, but it has been neat to kind of see that they are back, you know, filming and going and getting into the rest of the season. So very excited to see all of that. They keep giving us little tiny hints and things that are, you know, just just barely hinting at what's to come. So very, very excited to see that. And also, if you guys are having trouble getting into the chat room, um, again, like last week, it kind of took a few times to refreshing. And so go ahead and refresh your screens, and you should be able to get in now. Hmm. Yeah, I do apologize, everybody, for the stuff with the chat room. That's kind of beyond our control because we're going through Blog Talk Radio. But, yeah, so apparently that's the thing we need to know. It's about after about five minutes or so, that's when you can get back in the chat room. Awesome. All right, so let's get into this uh, discussion about Skin Deep because I'm really excited about it. Um, I w- actually watched this episode twice um, just to make sure that I had all of the notes that I you know, want to talk about because I feel like there's a lot to talk about um, with this. Uh, not yeah. only in terms of, you know, obviously, Rumpel and Bell, but there's a couple of other items that, you know, I thought were kind of interesting. So I'm just going to, you know, kick it off and get into it. So, okay, the first thing, of course, that I love about, love, love, love about this episode is that it starts off, it's kind of a reverse of Beauty and the Beast, the animated version, because Belle starts off in the gold dress. Like, she's already in it. And right. then... When- she goes to Rumpel's house, that's when she's, you know, or his house, yeah, he's just living in a house down the street. When she goes to his castle, jeez, um, then that's when she switches over to her, like, you know, her blue dress. So I, I love that, that she actually starts out the show in a gold dress and that her father is, you know, Sir Maurice and has, you know, he's like the leader of the village instead of being like the town crackpot. I kind of like that twist a little bit. Um <laughs> Gaston is, like, insanely tall in the show. And what was so funny, actually, too, is what struck me about that was I was looking at their height comparison between him and Emily DeRobin for Belle. And I was like, you know, it's just about, you know, Gaston looks really tall, but it's just about the same difference between me and Emily DeRobin because I, you know, (laughs) I met her once. Yeah, you know, like, um, (laughs) I was like, oh, maybe I guess Gaston is just as tall as me. Anyways, though, that's more of a personal thing than, <laughs> than about the show. But, yeah, it just, I couldn't help but think about that. But, yeah, so Belle in the dress, Gaston is there. He's not exactly a total jerk like the animated version is, but he's not the nicest man in the world, I don't think. Because he's, like, kind of like when, he, you know, when Belle has to tell him, nobody decides my fate but me. Like, it was, you know, already kind of kicking that whole thing into gear. So, yeah, there's just something about Gaston that I didn't like on Once Upon a Time. I'm glad, well, I shouldn't say glad, but... I don't, yeah, anyway, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I think he was definitely, I don't think they made him out to be in the very beginning as quite as huge of a jerk as he was in the beginning of the animated movie, which I'll, I'll also say, though, that is that whole Gaston song he sings in the tavern is one of my favorite Disney villain songs. Um, oh, yeah, I think sure. that, 
Yeah, that character is hilarious with the whole thing with him and LeFou. But I do feel like in the beginning of Skin Deep, they did kind of hint at the fact that he was very overbearing, the way he kept kind of stepping in front of Belle and pushing her back. And, you know, she'd start to say something and he'd start to speak. I was like, ugh. Yes, Lori in the chat room says he uses antlers in all of his decorating. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he was fabulous. So, yeah, definitely kind of you could see the, the the little ties between the two. Yeah, right. Okay. And you know, there was a couple of other um a couple of other Beauty and the Beast references right off the bat too that I noticed that I that I loved. Um one of them was uh when Rumpel says, Yes, I can protect your little town. And, you know, the whole little town thing, of course, is how, you know, there's lyrics of that included in the song Bell in Beauty and the Beast. Right. So that, you know, that stood out to me. Um, also, when, you know, when, when, when they say, you can't go with this beast, I was like, well, they're just setting it right off the bat from the beginning. Like, he's just, yes. being, you know, it's, <laughs> it's Beauty and the Beast. So I like that they didn't kind of shy away from it because, you know, sometimes in the earlier episodes, like, they didn't really get too heavy into, you know, like the Disney version. Like, you know, for Snow White, they've only had, you know, really a couple of things that are similar to the animated version. Like that, um, the Heart of, what was it, Heart of Darkness, I think, where she's uh, she's forgotten charming and she's like sweeping the house, you know, and she's got the red bow in her hair and she's wearing the yellow dress. Right. That's the closest she's ever come the to whistle looking while you work or playing. Yeah, I know. Like she's never actually, put, you know, come so close to looking like the animated Snow White. So that's kind of why I like the fact that they didn't shy away from the from the the animated version on this one. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, um, this scene is famous for one of Rumpelstiltskin's more interesting lines, where he says he's looking for a caretaker for his rather large estate. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you gotta love Jane Simpson's writing on that because she, you know, it's obviously. Anyways, Amy, what do you what do you think about this whole scene, babe? I I love the whole beginning scene. I remember watching it for the first time and this just to say right off, this is still my favorite episode of the of the entire series so far. Um I and it's and it's not because I'm a huge, you know, Disney Beauty and the Beast fan or any anything like that, but I is even though I am I just feel like this, of all the episodes, was the one that stayed with me the most. And this is the one I really liked Belle the most in. I really liked Rumpel because we kind of got the the hard, you know, wicked Rumpel. And the, you know, we got to see that little glimpse of emotional Rumpel. But I loved the episode. And I remember watching it for the first time. And when they were all sitting in Maurice's room and they're waiting for, because they didn't flat out say it was Rumpel, they just said, you know, they're waiting for him and he didn't come. And then when it ends up being Rumpel and Belle leaves with him and then suddenly this realization that, oh, my God, they've cast Rumpel as Rumpel and the Beast, I remember thinking, oh, that is so smart. That is so Oh, I just I remember thinking that was fantastic. And I know Jane Essenson wrote this episode and she writes so many things that I love, but I just the first time I watched it, just rewatching it again this week, I remember looking at it and going, Oh, yes, that's why I love this episode and that's why I love this episode just through the whole thing. Oh. 
Yeah, there was def- yeah, there's a lot of little things that I that I love, and you know, it's kind of it jumps right into it, and I like that, and yeah. So then after, yeah, it's just a, it's just really a great episode, and yeah, what, like what you're saying with Rumple and the Beast, like being the same person and that realization, like it's kind of like, um, okay, like let's, because I, I really I would not have expected that to be honest. Kind of like when he was, uh, you know, ended up being the crocodile, you know, you just don't expect yeah. that. Kind of thing. So, it was just a really cool I twist, and I really it. liked it. Yeah, it's awesome. And then, so after that, right, then it goes back to Storybrooke. And um, and Storybrooke, you know, first of all, the very first reference was, you know, <laughs> the thing that I love was the Game of Thorns uh, <laughs> truck for the Me floral service. Me too. Like yes. Thrones. <laughs> and you Loving know, it. I didn't realize until after I saw that episode that Jane Espenson has written on Game of Thrones before, and I didn't yeah. know that the first time I watched it. I just happened to notice that the Rose truck, his flower truck business, was called Game of Thorns. And I was like, oh, that's like Game of Thrones, because I don't even think I was watching Game of Thrones at that point. But I yeah. remember seeing that. And that was another thing I loved about this episode, that even though it was totally different than the meaning of the rose in the animated film, there was still a rose at some point all through this episode. Like there was, the, you know, the floral shop, there was in the castle, all throughout the episode, you know, here and there you would see roses figured prominently, even though they weren't in the same way as in the cartoon, but I loved it. Yeah, definitely. I love, yeah, it's, I love what your, your point about the roses too. And the fact that it, yeah, it's a really good point, Amy. Nice catch. All right. And then the other thing too. Okay. So, okay. So, okay. This other thing about this scene, something that I have a question about, right? When Rumpel is repossessing the van, he's got this tall, creepy dude with him. Who is that guy? (laughs) I thought about that today. I'm like, who are you? No, because, like, seriously, think about this for a second. Rumpel, like, he always works alone, always. Like, he doesn't really need to work with – I mean, he worked – you know, he did work with Jefferson and all that stuff, and he worked with, you know, like, um, Frankenstein, you know, Dr. Whale, to kind of get that whole thing with Regina going on. But for the most part, like, I just thought that was so weird. Like, who is Creepy Tall Man? And, like, what character does he play? Like, who are you, sir? Identify yourself. Like, you know, (laughs) Kind of like a Tron reference, you know what I mean? Like, identify a program. Like, what is going on here? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was really strange, and I really want to know who that guy is. Like, is it, I mean, seriously, I thought, who is that guy? Well, I thought so, too, and I was watching it today, and I was like, wait a second, did we ever figure out who that guy was? And that was something I wrote down in my notes. And then because he was, uh, you know, bald, my first thought was that he was uh, – Claude, who ends up being in the episode later uh, last season where Belle, you know, she was like Warrior Belle, and um, he's the one that shoved her off of the car and then ended up working for Regina because he was also there when Regina kidnapped Belle. But then that couldn't have been him because he ended up getting killed. So I was like, well, that's not Claude. So let me think. And I I don't know who he is. That was, But that was something I was going to ask you because I wrote that down in my notes. I'm like, remember to ask Zach if we ever figured out who the bald guy helping Rumpel was. So I guess that's a no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to know. Um, I want to know. Bang, bang. Okay, yeah. So um, <laughs> let me see. What other notes I have? I'm just all over. Yeah, it's been 
it's been a week, let me tell you. All right, so another thing that I have too. Oh, okay, okay. Let me just say this too, all right? So last week on the podcast, I was talking about the color red and the way that, um, you know, Henry Scarf was kind of a reflection of his ties to Emma and Regina through their clothing as well. Um, because his scarf is predominantly gray. Regina's dress was gray. She's been his mother for most of his life. Um, it's got the little stripes of red, which are kind of like Emma's jacket, kind of like, you know, little bloodlines and things like that. So it's kind of all related, you know what I mean? Um, and also kind of, you know, like red also means love and, you know, the, all kinds of stuff. And Emma, oh, and Emma is true love incarnate. Duh, that's why she has a red jacket. Okay, cool. So, um, so here's what I want to say about that too, because on this week, this week's episode, immediately after... Um, Rumple, you know, repossesses the van and he's walking across the street. He meets Regina and she asks him for a conversation, right? Okay. Now, here's something important that I want to point out about this scene. She has on a red sweater and a red scarf. And Rumple, or Mr. Gold, if you look at him, he has, like, when, um, when it shows his, like, the back of his head, on the back of his collar, there's a red stripe that goes along the back yes. of his collar. And you can only and see it, looks, it from the back. You can't see it when it shows him from the front. Exactly. So here's, mm-hmm. um, and here was really my thought about that, because, you know, I always have these single notes about these things. Okay, so, um, like, Gold is having a power play with Regina at that point, right? Because she's mm-hmm. trying to get him to talk to her, and he doesn't want to. He even says, please, and uses that trigger to make her stop talking to him. Like, so it's totally a power struggle. And then um, later on, right, because I got to kind of, and unfortunately I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the episode to explain this point, but later on, after he's been robbed, Emma does not have her red jacket on. She actually has a brown jacket on. But when she's in the police station, after she's found all of Gold's things, except for the cup, she has the jacket off, and she's also wearing a red sweater. And the interesting thing about this situation, because he's still, Rumpel, or Mr. Gold is still wearing the same clothes that he was wearing when he saw Regina in the street. So that red stripe is still on his collar, okay? That's important. Because Emma's red sweater, number one, Regina also had a red sweater on. So right there, there's an indication of the power struggle between those two. But also, you know, Mr. Gold is having a power struggle with Emma as far as how to pursue justice and, you know, get his stuff back. So not right. only is he having a play with Regina, he's having a power play with Emma, and their clothing reflects that. So just little stuff I like agree. that. And you know what I thought of, too? I, I'm so glad you wrote that whole series on the red thing, sweetie. What I thought of when I was watching the scene with Gold and Regina in the street, and she's got the only red you can see on him is behind him, I kept thinking how you had talked about the red meant power, and Regina cannot see the red that's on Mr. Gold because it's behind him, but even though, you know, they're having this conversation and she's not sure, he is the one, even though it's hidden, he's the one with the power in that town. That's what I kept thinking when I saw that sign. Like, she can't see it and she doesn't know yet, because she's still, until the end of the episode, not 100% sure he knows anything until the very end. But even though she can't see it, he has the power. That's like, that's what I thought of when I saw that. And I never would have thought of that if you hadn't started writing that series about the color red and what it means and the, 
in the thing. But when I saw that again today, I was like, oh, i got to write that down. <laughs> yeah, because, like, this, it really is, you know, significant because in the way that I interpreted that was to be like, you know, so it's because Regina doesn't know that he knows and he actually is like, it, you know, it's like a secret. So that's why it's hidden on the back of his collar, and that's why she can't see it because she can't right. see the proof situation so far. So, you know, that was that was what I interpreted that to mean. And then later on, because I've, I've got a bunch of notes on this, so yeah. Um, later on, sorry everybody. Oh, okay, cool. So. He's also um, wearing red in the Enchanted Forest scenes in, you know, he's got that red vest on at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the fall. And then um, his shirt also, I just want to say this too, his shirt is almost like a dark red maroon color. You can't really tell. you got to kind of, and, you know, it could be a little bit off, but it's kind of, it's kind of darker, right? It's a darker shade of, like, you know, like a red. It's almost like it's dull, and, you know, and darker mm-hmm. down. Okay, so later on, too, and I'm kind of jumping ahead again. Later on, after he's been arrested and he's in jail and they have the scene at the end, right? And I'm not going to talk about what they actually talk about yet. I'm just going to talk about their clothes. In that moment when they're at, well, I guess I, well, crap. Okay, I have to save that point for later on because it actually is, (laughs) I don't want to get into that yet. So I I have more notes about their clothes in that scene, too. Okay, cool. So, um, but anyway, so that's my notes about the color red on that part. Cool. Um, I, okay, so then the next scene is in Storybrooke is when Mary Margaret and David are in Granny's, and David is reading Anna Karenina, or however you say that. Please forgive <laughs> me for not pronouncing it. And I just thought, like, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, of all the books for them to have picked, I don't know why I would not have thought it would have been that one. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like, I didn't, it was just such a, it was like a thing where I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like, David is reading Anna, he's reading that book, you know, because I can't say the name. So, <laughs> Have you read okay, that book or seen the movie before? No, I haven't. No, well, I haven't uh, read, I've, I've read, like, Cliff Notes many, many, many moons ago. It was probably a book I had to read in school and didn't, like, just about every other book to find me. But anyway, um, that book is about someone who is married but is in love with someone else. And I don't think it has a happy ending, but that's what that book is about. So when I saw him reading that, I was like, ooh, hmm. <laughs> and then she mentions she suggests she that Snow says that she's, or Mary Margaret is the one she suggested that book to him. She's like, Oh, good, you got the book. But I'm pretty sure that this is, yeah, uh, Teresa mentioned in there that it's a book about, you know, adultery and it has an unhappy ending, but it's about someone who's married to somebody but in love with someone else. So that's what Anna Karenina, like the whole story is about. Anna Karenina. Okay, thank you for pronouncing it for me so that I know how to say it. Yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. And then also, I got to say, too, in that scene, after Emma, after Emma comes and sits down at the table and they're talking and Ruby comes over and suggests girls' night, mm-hmm. holy smokes, dude, her clothes. I'm just saying. Like, Ruby? Her, yeah. It, what clothes? I mean, oh my God. I was like, because you know what? Honestly, I kind of forgot what Ruby looked like in those earlier episodes. 
I think, because it, I just hadn't thought about it in so long. So when I saw that, I was like, whoa, like, I forgot that's how she used to dress. Like, holy smokes, that's, that's a change. Okay. Yeah. I'm surprised <laughs> but of course, that. I but mean, anyway. if I look like that, I'd probably run around half naked too. <laughs> but yeah, I these... probably would too. But who wouldn't really? So, yeah. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, so that, that just took out to me, obviously, because I was paying attention to clothes by that point. So then I was like, whoa, like, cool. She almost didn't have any on. So, yeah, there was that. It was interesting. Um, and then later on, oh, okay, cool. So now we're getting into it, right? Now we're going to get into this. Okay, so after Ruby's outfit, right, and they are all they all agree to go out, you know, they're going to have girls' night out. Okay, cool, sweet. So back in the Enchanted Forest in the flashback, Rumpel is leading Belle through his trophy room, okay? And all of the Easter eggs, all of the Easter mm, eggs that are in that. Yes. Series, there's like a pelt of what basically looks like the beast, even with the horns. There is mm-hmm. a clock and a candelabra, and there's actually Aladdin's lamp is in there too, interestingly enough. Um, which the I sorcerer hat, yeah. Yeah, the sorcerer's hat is in there. Um, Geppetto's Excalibur. Parents. Yeah, Excalibur. Like, there's... You've got a lot of stuff that, in there, right? Okay. I think the fleece might, I think that might have been the golden fleece from like Jason and the Argonauts. That's what I always thought that, um, that like skin that was there. I always think that mm-hmm. that, I always thought that was supposed to be the fleece from Jason and the Argonauts. Cause that was kind of my first hint that maybe they were going to hopefully get into like some mythology characters and things, but I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's exactly what they meant it to be. Um, Oh, and the cup, of course, was, you know, I oh, yeah. assume that was the grail. But... Oh, no, that cup. Okay. I thought you were talking about Chip. Sorry. Oh, no, not Chip. Yeah, the uh, the one at the end. It doesn't show until the very end. But, yeah, so right. many good yeah, things in was, that room. Yeah, I, I thought it was so interesting. He replaced the cup with a cup. Like, and, this, yeah, there's a kind of an interesting little scene there. That whole mm. This whole episode, honestly, was just so far of, like, this was, I remember, that, like, when I was first watching it, I can remember that this was the episode where I first thought to myself, I mean, even though I was a committed once at that point, this episode, like, raised the bar for me as far as this show. Like, it was, I mean, everything about it from start to finish, I remember just being like, wow, this one is really just outstanding. Like, this is probably, yeah. I remember thinking, this is probably going to be one of my favorite episodes that they've done. And it still is. Um, I mean, the list of favorites keeps growing. I say, you know, they did a lot of really good stuff in Neverland this season, so it's kind of hard. But, um, but yeah, it's still one of my favorite episodes that they ever did. And it was just, I mean, the end scene, which we're going to – yeah, okay, no, I, we can't talk about the end scene yet because, yeah, we're not there yet. Okay, cool. So, okay, I just want to say one thing, too, all right, as far as the color red goes. We're in the trophy room, okay? Like, so those are all, you know, basically displays of Rumpel's victory and getting those items, right? Okay, cool, whatever. The room is red. Mm-hmm. The room itself is red. It's decorated in red. Like, right there, that room, his trophy room, is covered in red. Like, the color of power. So, I mean, there's, there's another, you know, example of the symbolism of that color right there. I mean, that, at least that's what I saw when I was watching. I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? Like, every single thing that indicates his victory is all in a room that's the color red. Oh, that's fun. Yes, all those tapestries. Every There was so much red in that room. And you mentioned the candlestick and the clock, which in the animated version, those things end up being Cogsworth and Lumiere. 
And, of course, we also learned this week that Lumiere, the part of Lumiere, has been cast. It's an actor named, uh, I'm probably going to ruin his name, Henry Lubati, I believe is how you say his name. But he's been cast as the human version of Lumiere, which um, so we're going to see in the future, which I'm dying to know if it's going to tie in, if they're going to say, yes, he actually was that candlestick that was in Rumpel's trophy room that whole time, or, you know, if he was off somewhere else. Wouldn't that be something, like, wouldn't that be something if that was the case? <laughs> Poor <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> Poor dude. Like, kind of like, you know, well, I mean, he turned Gaston into a freaking rose, so, I mean, you know, why wouldn't he, <laughs> why wouldn't he do that to somebody else? Turn a guy candlestick. into a candlestick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and also, too, I just he didn't get turned out. into a snail. <laughs> yeah, and stepped on, because, you know, that's like a fate, like, totally awesome one. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, there are also red flags over Rumpel's castle. Like, his castle flies red flags. Mm-hmm. Just, just pointing that out. You know, Amy, I really do need to finish writing my series on this, I think, because it's all over the place now. And I'm seeing so, like, uh, this episode, actually, because the next one, I've already written one about Prince Charming and one about Snow White. The next one I was going to write was going to be a Rumpel and Cora. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching Skin Deep, actually, and making all these notes, I was like, okay, I really need to get that done because it's, I mean, it's all over the place, and it's all throughout the show. So it's not like it's just in one or two episodes. I mean, it's it's a consistent thing that happens. So, yeah, I just, I really need it. Yeah, there's so much. Right. Like, people are saying, he's just saying in the chat room, you know, red is passion, love, suffering, you know, blood, and, yeah, and it's also, you know, like, you know, the color of apples and, you know, the color of heart, you know, like, I mean, mm. yeah, there's so much. Like, there's just so much. Anyways, um, I also love the fact that Chip is there. Okay, and then when she is, so later on, when she is trying to pull the curtains down, and, she, you know, they're nailed shut, and she falls, and he catches her. Dude. Mm. Dude, oh. love it. I love that. Yes. I mean, I love that scene so much, because she's literally, like, you know, like, making him see the light you know, as she's falling, and then he catches her. It's just, oh, man, it's just so awesome. Yeah, I, I felt like that was a really good moment. And there wasn't, like, a whole ton of speaking in the moment, but just the whole act of, you know, she asked him, did you nail them shut? And he's like, well, yeah, <laughs> to him. It doesn't seem like there's anything weird about it. But, you know, she yanks it, and he doesn't even have to think about it. Like, he inst- like he has that instinct immediately to catch her where from everything else right. we've seen up to that point, like we would think that, okay, well, if he really is this horrible, evil monster, he would have just let her, you know, splat hit the floor. But his first yeah. instinct is that he's going to step in and grab her. And you can see how well Robert Carlyle played his part because it was like Rumpel even shocked himself by the fact that he did that. Oh. Like he was like, Oh, wait, what? What what did I do? Like he you know, yeah. he he was even surprised. So this uh definitely, yeah, Robert Carlyle played this so well. I was it was kind of awkward and sweet at the same moment and you know, you could tell he he was even shocked himself and then as he walks away he's like tells her, well, you you don't have to put it up. It's okay. I'll get used to it. And then he walks off, you know, because it, and it's almost like he doesn't know what else to say or he doesn't want to really, you know, get into a big conversation. He just walks off. But it's 
kind of like a almost a turning point for them in this episode. Yeah, and he doesn't. I mean, he has this look on his face too of just confusion, and um, you know, like what you said, he's really shocked himself, and he just kind of walks away looking confused, and she walks away looking at him like, you know, ha ha, I knew there was a nicer, you know, side to you. Kind of, you know, I mean, at least that's what I thought of at least. So it's just, yeah, I love that scene because it's like, and she, you know, like she fall. It's almost like falling. Sounds like maybe that's when she first started to love him. Like maybe that's when she like fell in love with him. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. right. Hmm. Yeah. God, that's just such a great scene. Okay, cool. So um, then after that, right? That's when we see you know that you know I mean we didn't talk about the scene earlier on because I was talking about the clothes, but um, you know Gold gets robbed by Maurice and or Mo Mo French as it were and. Uh, <laughs> And later on at the station, after Emma has got everything back, he's you know, you know they have that scene. She's got a red sweater on. He's going to go you know take care of everything himself. And uh oh, trouble's coming. Okay, so then it shows the girls' night out at you know the which we we now know of course is the rabbit hole. But at the time, it didn't have a name, and you know they didn't identify that. But yeah, it's the rabbit hole bar that they're all hanging out at. And somebody mentioned earlier in the chat room that. Snow White, Red Riding Hood, and Cinderella sitting down to a table in a bar sounds like the beginning of a joke, and it really does. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like three princesses walk into a bar. You know, it's like the bartender says, "Why the long dress?" Like I have no idea. Something like that. It's just it's totally, <laughs> <laughs> totally horrible joke. Sorry, everybody. Okay. Um, so then, you know, like the girls went out, and you know what's so funny about that is I remember the first time I watched that episode. And Cinderella or Ashley is sitting there drinking. I was like, wait. Like, she just said in that one episode in episode four where she had the baby that she's only, like, 19. And, right, yeah, uh, she's very young. Yeah, I was like, so she's at a bar drinking. And then so what I did, because, you know, I'm just obsessed like that, is I Googled Maine's drinking age, and it's 18. So, so she was good was, to be at the bar. It was actually okay. It was actually legal for Cinderella to be there. So I just thought that was so funny. Like when I looked that up, it was actually the case. Like, <laughs> oh my god! I thought about that too because they the first time I watched Skin Deep, they were you know I was thinking about it and I remember thinking, wow, Ashley's only supposed to be like eighteen or nineteen and she just had the baby. My first thought was one, well. Hopefully she's not breastfeeding, and do isn't she underage to be in this bar drinking? But clearly it's okay because in Maine she was not underage, and we'll just assume that maybe it was on formula. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, okay. Oh, we have Jasmine in the chat room now, so I just want to say hello to her. I am pretty sure that Jasmine is a fairly new addition to our Once Upon a Fan fan site. And I think I saw a quote from Jasmine earlier where she posted um, that she had just joined. I'm pretty sure this is the same Jasmine. Yeah, hi, Jasmine. I see you in the chat room, too. So just want to say hi to you there. Um, Let me see. You know what? We actually... um, I forgot that we skipped over a scene actually because I was we were kind of talking about the uh, the Easter eggs. So there's that scene after he catches Belle, after Uncle catches Belle, mm-hmm. and they're sitting there and they they start to talk about Balefire and you know and that's you know they have that whole conversation. And then he lets her go 
going to town, and she, you know, she, and she's talking about how there's not a chance for women to, you know, prove themselves the hero, basically, in their world, and so that's why she went with him, and, you know, and that's when Gaston shows up, and Rumpel turns him into the Rose, and then, and then, of course, there's another Beauty and the Beast reference with that, because when he turns him into the Rose, you know, when he comes back in the room, Belle asks who it was, and he goes, just an old woman selling flowers, which that's exactly how Adam in the animated version got turned into the Beast, is the old woman, beggar woman, showed up with a flower with a rose, and he refused it, and then she turned into a sorceress right. and changed into the Beast. So I loved that. I thought that was totally awesome, because that's just another Beauty and the Beast Easter egg. And then, of course, poor Gaston, later on, when Belle goes and, you know, gives him a snip and then puts him in the vase. Um, poor guy. But, you know, and also, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's certain symbolism in that, and I'm just going to leave it at that. You can infer whatever you want to, listeners. And then, um, so then he, he, he tells Belle that he's going to let her go into town, right? And that he doesn't expect to ever see her again. So then we get the scene where Regina pulls up and starts talking to Belle as she's walking. Okay. Please note that Regina has a red feather or something in her hair. So. Yes. Yeah. I think I oh, I couldn't tell. At first I thought it was a feather, but now I think it's a red streak in her hair. So she must have a fabulous royal hairdresser happening in the whole, you know, enchanted forest scene. And I'm pretty sure this time it was a red streak because before she has had the red feathers in her hair. Yeah, it would be the uh, you know the evil hairdresser in the evil salon at the evil castle, <laughs> yeah. cooking with the evil queen coming soon. Okay, so um, yeah, uh, so there's that whole scene. That's when she's being so manipulative, and you know, I mean, and not like she's trying to like do it. And it's not like she's well, no, she is being manipulative actually because she's only trying to get Belle to kiss Rumple so that it'll end you know the dark one's powers, and she'll be the most powerful one, and she'll get to win, right? I mean, that's the whole. Thing of their power struggle, actually, is that she's trying to one-up him with Belle. Okay. Right. So there's that ridiculousness of, on Regina's part. And then she talks about in that scene, too, you know, that she wouldn't encourage a woman to kiss a man who, you know, kept her prisoner. What kind of message is that? Which, you know, I thought that was pretty <laughs> Yeah, too. but she's got this lovely little smirk on her face when she says it like, well, yes, I am, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's her totally <laughs> off the say. Um, yes. As and then as they're walking afterwards, you know, Belle goes back to the castle and she, you know, talks to Rumpel about his son and he kind of, you know, backs out of telling her. And then there's the kiss. And it's, okay. Which confuses me. Because she kissed him and it started to break the Dark One curse. But then when he got mad, it came back. You know, right. like she had to keep going. Like, that Dark One stuff must be, I mean, obviously I didn't, I must not have comprehended the power behind it because if you got to kiss them more than once to break a curse when it's supposed to be able to just do that in the beginning, that's a pretty powerful curse, I think. So, holy smokes. Yeah. That's the only thing I could think of. Otherwise, I was like, why didn't it just break? Like, why is he still the Dark One? I don't understand. But then I was like, maybe it's because it's just so... It's like the ultimate evil thing. Talk it up to that. It's magic. I think belief has to, I mean, we've seen in several different episodes how important belief is. And I think that for a brief second, he let himself 
believe that she could love him. And then I think as soon as doubt crept in, that was it. Like, it cut it off, it, you know, where then that's why the curse didn't totally break. I think that, you know, everybody so far when the they've had a curse break and it's been, you know, from a kiss, there's been, like, this really true hardcore belief on the part of both people. So that's what I think. I think that he... Just for a brief second, you know, he believed that this girl could love him and then instantly doubted himself that, you know, thinking no one could love him, so it didn't work. Yeah, that's a really interesting struggle, too, I think, that Rumpel has as far as, you know, not believing that she could love him and then also kind of, you know, I mean, because another thing about their relationship that they kind of struggle with even in the season two and kind of three is that he doesn't feel, you know, he wants to protect her and he doesn't, you know, he wants her to be with somebody else. And in a way it almost seems to me like he doesn't feel like he's good enough to be with her. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Like, and it seems like that's just a very, you know, I mean, it's a really interesting kind of, you know, problem for him to have, like, I mean, I, although it is, you know, I guess it kind of goes along with his character. I don't know. It's just, I just thought that it was interesting that that, God, there's just, this episode is so layered and it's so good. Like, there are so many things. It does so many things to Rumpel's character and adds so many layers to him and his storyline and everything about him that it's just, I mean, this, and that I think is why it might be one of my favorites. It's not only because, you know, the really fantastic relationship between Rumpel and Belle. I mean, I love the way that Emily DeRobin and Robert Carlyle played it, but also because of what it does for Rumpel's character because his, I really adore his character. So um, I think that's really why I find it so so superb, really, is because it's just such a game changer for him as a person and a lot more revealing. Like, he's, he's weaker, he's vulnerable, and you can actually, like, you know, more of him, like you, you know him more. So I think, and I think that's what it. I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely. I think this was the first time you mentioned the vulnerability, and Jasmine actually is talking about in the chat room right now. She mentioned how Rumpel's father chose, you know, childhood over Rumpel and youth, and he chose power and things like that. And Rumpel obviously more than you know. Even he's got the stuff with his father. We don't know exactly what happened with his mother, but he didn't have a mother. And then he's got the history with his son. So he has this long history of pain. And for, you know, hundreds of years, he has to bury it down. And, you know, he is just trying to be, you know, only the powerful, only the dark one, you know, and this is just who he's trying to be. And for him, it's like a shell and it's almost what it looks like, too. Like, when Belle kisses him, for that instant when he believes for, a, you know, a brief second that someone could love him, then he, I mean, it's almost, it looks like a shell breaking away. Like, that, the green glitter starts to come away from his face that he starts to change, but then changes back. But, I mean, it seems like at every point in his life he has lost whoever he has loved or whoever he has thought has loved him. So, I mean, I think all of that contributed to why he feels like this. And Belle kind of comes in, and not even intentionally, I mean, she starts off as a prisoner and a a housekeeper, 
and somebody to take care of his things, and she slowly becomes more to him. And, I, I mean, it just shocks him and surprises him that he could even start to, you know, be accepted as anything other than a monster to somebody. It's like this is a whole foreign concept to him. Like, he can't understand that anyone would ever see him as anything but a beast, and she does. And that's, I mean, that was just like, I think it was so, so well played, because you can see, too, in some of the scenes where he tries, he starts to kind of feel vulnerable, and then he tries to jump back into being hard, but she's just not having it. She's like, yeah, you're not a monster. You cover the mirrors because you think you're ugly, and you're not, and he's just, completely blindsided by this girl who sees him as not just a beast. And, I mean, I think that that, the whole episode was just so good, the way that it was performed. Yeah, um, especially, like, you know, Teresa brought up the really great quote when he says, no one could ever, ever love me. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, like, just tragic, like, that, I mean... Although looking at his life, I mean, it's kind of understandable. The man is like 300 years old, and for the most part, I mean, look what happened. I mean, later on, look what happened with his dad. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, you know what I mean? Like, he hasn't exactly had the best time with it. So, like, I mean, yeah, that was. It's such a powerful scene because on the because while that's going on in Storybrooke, you know, he's found Mo French and he's got him tied up and he's taken him to the cabin, and then so, you know, it's kind of as as that whole thing is happening, it's so interesting because after he throws Belle back in the dungeon, and he, that's when he goes on his rampage in the trophy room and destroys that display case, while at the same time he's beating Mo French in the cabin, and just not only Robert Carlyle's performance, which was brilliant, just superb, I mean, oh my God, jaw-droppingly amazing, but... um also, you know, I mean, because he really went with it as far as the destruction of that display case. I mean, that man, I mean, I, wow, like, I bought that a thousand percent. That was just so impressive. So, and the music, too, Mark Isham's score in that scene, that track, Rumpelstiltskin in Love, is so, it is hauntingly beautiful. It is a really haunting piece of music. That's because it's just so, it's mm-hmm. like, ah, there's just so much to that scene. I can't even. I can't even keep up with it. Oh, yeah, that scene at the very end after Regina comes in, which we definitely, I definitely want to talk about that scene when Regina comes to see him after the whole, you know, breakdown thing when he sends Belle away because that scene with him and Regina is, I think it's so good. And I, I've, as much as I feel bad for Rumpel, that scene has my second favorite line of Regina's in the entire series and it has this the one rumple line that literally almost made me like burst into tears. It was just like a that scene was so subtle and just so smart. I felt like it was done so good. Yeah, it was. I mean, this episode was really that scene. That's when it really you know kicked it up. And uh, yeah, there's just. Oh, that, it's just such a powerful scene, and it's so sad. It's so tragic. Um, it really is just, 
Yeah, that episode. Yeah. See, this is why I love this episode so much. <laughs> because it really, it, it really made, it's just, just awesome, superb. Um, okay, so then and also I want to talk about. Peter likes the scene because we have, of course, we have the Regina Spoon scene, which was such a big scene for all the Regina fans out there who are madly in love with Regina, like our, our very own Peter, who he's a, yeah, Spoon, Peter wrote in the, in the chat room. We know that Regina's actually destined to end up with Peter, so, you know, <laughs> we, we ship pizza, pizza Queen or Queen Pizza. <laughs> But, yeah, that whole scene where, you know, Regina comes in after he has sent Belle away, and it's just, you know, he's just there spinning, and he's obviously miserable, and she's so casual, you know, making the tea, and she licks the spoon, and she's like, well, I had nothing to do with that tragedy, and then so she was, like, obviously kind of goading him into it. She was so evil in that scene. I know. I, love I mean, it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. That's why you're an evil eagle. But she was really not only was she evil, but she was just cruel. I mean, to do. I mean, that's just to have done what she did, and now that we know she locked Belle up and everything else, like we didn't know that at the time. You know, you right. just kind of, you know, you didn't know what to believe. You didn't know whether or not Regina was lying or not. And you know what I think it was? It was the fact that Rumpel believed her that made me believe Regina too. You know what I mean? Like when I remember when I was watching right. it the first time and she said that, I kind of actually thought that that was what happened because Rumpel bought it. And then later on when Belle was alive, I was like, oh, okay. Like, and I don't know why they would have, like, I don't know why I would just think, yeah, they're just going to kill Belle off. Like that's not going to be a huge major thing to do. But, you know, like at the time I was thinking, well, well sh- oh, my God, like they killed her? Okay. What, let's, I'll, let's, all right, I'll see what happens next. And then, of course, then she's still alive and everything else. So I was like, wow. But there's, there's a couple of things in that scene, a couple of things. Okay. Mm. So there's – <laughs> first of all, when she says she needs a help for, you know, a certain mermaid. Okay. Yeah. Our first hint at Ariel. Well, yeah, so since we know that Ariel has already shown up in season three – then, you know, that's, I mean, that's about the same time frame that that was all going on. So, you know, now we know, you can kind of put it together on what was going on there when we knew that. Okay. Also, the sorcerer's hat was in that room. And that, to me, honestly, that is, that is proof that the sorcerer from Fantasia and the sorcerer's apprentice, the one with all the brooms and Mickey and everything, I, I, makes me think that he's in the show or he's at least in the show's universe somewhere. Um, and also, okay, too. You know, Belle, you know, she's alive down in the basement, and then there was the nurse. Okay, so the nurse. Oh. Oh. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay, so... No, I guess... I, hmm. I guess I could still be right, but maybe not. So the nurse of Skin Deep was actually my very first theory to Once Upon a Fan because I was convinced that she's Ursula because, you know, she... Her hair looks like Ursula's tentacles, and, you know, she has those two brooches on her lapel, and if you put them together, they would have looked like a shell, like, you know, the one that mm-hmm. she kept Ariel's voice in. Um, and, like, well, at least the animated one did. And uh, also, you know, like the, the asylum, if you will, like the psych ward that they kept Belle in was uh. in the basement 
with and a basement would of course it's underground or under the sea if you will. So right. I was totally, totally, totally convinced that the nurse was going to end up being, um, you know, Ursula. And then when I remember when Ariel, when the episode Ariel aired in season three, and it looked like Regina was Ursula, I remember thinking mm-hmm. to myself, man, I don't, I can't believe I was so like far off or that it didn't go that direction. But then of course that wasn't really Ursula, so right. There's still well, you a weren't chance. as far I, off as I was, honey. <laughs> Because remember how last week I confessed that my very first theory that I never sent to Once Upon a Fan was after the pilot when they were showing in Granny's Inn and she had those Wonderland figures on her desk and the only one that had any color was the one holding the heart. And so I was thinking after the pilot, I was like, oh, wouldn't that be a sweet twist if Granny ended up being the Queen of Hearts? Apparently, due to my huge addiction with Alice in Wonderland, those of you who don't know, I have collected Alice in Wonderland things since I was a wee child, but I'm obsessed with Alice in Wonderland, so when I saw that scene with the nurse, I thought she was going to end up being, again, the Queen of Hearts, because Regina gave her a red rose, and the whole painting the roses red thing, and so when she gave that to her, I was like, ooh, maybe she's the queen of hearts. I think I just wanted Alice as a queen of hearts so bad on the show at that point. I was just like, okay, everybody's the queen of hearts. But that's what I thought when I first saw her. <laughs> you're a queen of hearts, and you're a queen of hearts, and you're a queen of hearts. <laughs> everybody's the queen of hearts. I was like, yeah, somebody you're, please, you're, for God's sake, everybody's the queen, queen of hearts. Of hearts. Yeah, you're having your own personal Oprah moment. Congratulations, Amy. <laughs> I know, right? You're the queen of hearts. And eventually, I did get the queen of hearts. So I was like, yoo-hoo, yay. <laughs> All right. So let me see. What else? Um, okay, too. So that scene actually happens. All that stuff with, you know, Belle and, you know, the flashback, that actually happens after the other scene, which is the big scene, and it's the one that I was going to talk about earlier. All right. So. After Emma has arrested Gold and he is in his cell, she's sitting there talking to him and she's eating a sandwich. And yes, I said sandwich. And uh, she says, hey, remember that favor that I owe you? You know, a nice, tasty pastrami, delicious way to clear the books. Okay, so got to bring that up. Because in episode four, of course, that's when the favor came up in the first place with Cinderella and Ashley and everything. And of course, you know, I'm glad that she's in Skin Deep because it's a continuation of that story at the same time that, you know, he owes, you know, she owes him the favor, so it's all still related. Okay, cool. So, um, so she owes him the favor, so that has, you know, of course, later will come up in Manhattan and Tallahassee and, you know, has huge consequences for the series, you know, because of what happened in season three and everything else, which is why, you know, Tallahassee and Manhattan are going to be two of the episodes that we watch in the rewatch. And I'm going to go through the, uh, the schedule again for everybody at the end of the show just so we all know what episode we're watching and when for all our new listeners. Um, so in that scene, of course, when Regina comes in and she you know, tells Emma she can spend time with Henry, so they leave. Okay. Regina is wearing a purple shirt. And Rumpel, or Mr. Gold, is wearing kind of a dark purple shirt and tie. Okay? It's kind of hard to tell what color it is, but in earlier scenes, when the light is on in certain ways, you can see what color it actually is. So it was kind of a, it's kind of a darker purple. Okay. 
So right, and again, this goes directly with the scene earlier in the street because when he has his shirt and tie at that point are kind of this really dark red color that go with her red that she's wearing then. Okay, so the entire time their clothes are corresponding as far as the, the color goes. Okay, so it's purple. Well, we know that purple represents magic because, you know, think of the curse cloud and, you know, every time Rumple does, you know, does magic or something, it's normally, you know, purple smoke, right? Okay. So purple is magic. I think it's so interesting that in this scene, when they're actually acknowledging their magical identities, they're wearing the color that represents magic. That was what I was going to say earlier when we were talking about red. So I just thought... Ah, cool. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's how I interpreted that as far as our quotes go. And then, of course, it's got the fantastic... Yeah, Amy, well, you're, I'm going to let you say the quote. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> this scene also has this really fantastic, you know, the the line where, you know, Regina is just demanding it. Of, oh, Amy, talk about it. You, you're the evil regal, so I know this is, you know, this is yours. <laughs> I just ate this scene up when it happened the first time. I was sitting on the couch. I had my feet pulled up to my chest. I was like, oh, is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? Oh, my God. I was sitting there. My husband was in the room. My son, we're all watching it. And she's like, you know, he, he she says she has what he wants, and she's not going to give him too much information because she's not 100% sure. And she's like, oh, yes, yes, tell me, my, tell me your name, you know, and he's, He's trying to pass it off, and she's looking at him. She's like, what about time spent in other worlds? What's your name? And she says it, like, drawn out. And you can see his face. Robert Carlyle, God loves that man. He should have gotten an M.A. just for this episode. He's looking Thank at you. her, and he, he looks like Mr. Gold. And then without the makeup, all of a sudden the look on his face changes so much that he resembles Rumpel more than he does Mr. Gold. He gets that smirk and that little, you know, crinkle he does with his eye right before he looks at her and he smiles and he just says, Rumpel Silkskin. And I was like, oh, I think I screamed <laughs> when we were watching it the first time. Yeah, <laughs> My poor I was fat having, cat, I like, jumped across the room. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I was first watching this episode, the kind of the same thing. Like, it was almost like I was, I think I was on the edge of the couch. Like, okay, is he going to admit it or not? Because at that point, even I was kind of unsure. On, I mean, if he I wasn't knew, unsure. right? Well, no, it was still kind of a question. It really was. Like, it was just like, wait, what? Like, does he really know or does he not? Maybe he's just always been creepy because at that point we had never seen Mr. Gold in, in Storybrooke before Emma showed up. So it's not like we knew what he was like beforehand or anything. Once we saw the right. flashbacks, then we saw that he was actually a little bit different. But, yeah, like, that was just like, okay, is, does he know? Is he going to say it? And then he said his name, and like you said, he all of a sudden looked so much more like Rumpelstiltskin than Mr. Gold, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, what does this mean now that the two of them know the truth and nobody, like, oh, man, it was just setting it up for a huge... You know, like, and oh. he called her your majesty right after that. Yeah, I was not. like, ah. And then she gave him back the cup. I was like biting my hand. And when it went to commercial, I looked at my husband and I was like, oh my God, she is such a bitch. And I love her. Oh, <laughs> my husband's like, you are such a weirdo. You like all these really horrible 
bad guys because I love my villains. I do. I I love Rumple. And I I'm definitely an evil Regal. But I was like, I think my husband was expecting me to say, "Oh, she's so horrible. She's so evil." But I was like, oh, "She's so evil. I love her." He's <laughs> like, "Okay." So, yeah, yeah that was um, so good. I still hated Regina at that point. Like, really, <laughs> just, just, I just wanted her to get her comeuppance. I mean, because I remember that was the thing about season one is that, you know, Regina's humanity hadn't really been established. She was just the evil queen and the evil mayor and was just horrible. And, yeah. And so I, I remember didn't thinking. didn't know a lot of her backstory yet. Yeah, exactly. So as I was sitting there watching that, I remember thinking to myself, God, she is so horrible. She is the most evil woman. I still, like, Emma, just, you need to do something, girl. Like, you've got to believe. You've got to believe because you've got to stop this woman because she's horrible. Like, come on. Somebody stop her for crying out loud. She's horrible. Like, you know what I mean? And now, of course, my opinion on Regina has evolved. But, you know, back then in the first season, it was so new and we didn't know anything really at the time. It was just, I mean, there was so much more to come on the history of all these characters. So, you know, at that point, it was it, the show was much, much different then. And that's one thing that I, you know, I think that struck me when I was watching Skin Deep is I remember thinking, you know, what was the show like when I was first watching it? When this was new to me, how did I feel? What, like, what can I remember about thinking about it? And I just remember that, every, like, back then, at, like, kind of like it was this season, every week was like a countdown to the next week's episode. Like, it, you, like I remember after Sunday would be over, I was like, okay, well, is it Sunday? Like, you know, on, when the episode was over, I'd be like, okay, is it Sunday yet? Like, can right. I, like come on. I, I need it. Like, I need more of the show. I, you can't just leave me hanging with the story at this point and expect me to be okay with it, like, because I'm not. Mm. I need more of the story. And and then, like, you know, as we got more and more, it just, it got so much more complicated. And then, yeah, God, this, the first season was just so amazing. Because um, it was just so different. Like, and we had, when we were just getting to know all these characters and everything, yeah, it was just so different. But um, Yeah, doing a rewatch, it's definitely like seeing a completely different, I mean, not completely different in the storyline, of course, but it's, really different rewatching once now that we're halfway through season three and knowing the outcome of some things and now catching things that I didn't see maybe the first or second time. It's like seeing a whole different show. And I think I mentioned to you last week, you know, I had forgotten how much I missed every week, you know, how much I loved hearing that beginning part where they would say, you know, there's a town in Maine and then, you know, the whole spiel. But yeah, I, it's definitely different watching it the second time around as a like a yeah, complete watch. I just want to say too, I kind of miss the guy saying there is a town in Maine. Like I do too. Yeah. I, that was something that I was like, there is a town in Maine. Because I remember every time I heard that, I was like, oh boy, here we go. The story's starting. Like, let's do it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it hasn't done that in so long because really, like, once doesn't really have an intro. Like, it shows what happened in the previous episode, then it shows the, the title of the show, and then it just gets into it. Like, it doesn't really have that much of an intro anymore. So I do kind of miss that, too. That's something from the old days that I do miss. But um, Yeah. Okay. Well, wow, actually, we actually got through this episode rewatch a lot faster than I thought we were going to. Um, yeah. Well, I did want to mention, too, the, a little bit more about the scene with Regina and Rumpel where she goes in and, you know, she tells him she needs help with the mermaid. I 
first off, I love that that's the first part where we got a little peek at, you know, a hint that we were going to get Ariel eventually. And then I loved that that ended up being such, she was such a, I don't know, she was so horrible to rumple in that scene because, you know, she says, oh, well, I didn't have anything to do with this tragedy. And he pauses and he almost doesn't want to ask. But he does, and then she tells him about how Belle went and was cast out, and her father had her purged and you know with flames and clerics, and then she threw herself off a tower and killed herself. But before she gets to that part where she tells him that she threw herself off a tower, he is so like just crushed because for a moment you see that he has this hope that maybe he can fix this, that maybe he made a mistake and now it can be okay because he says to Regina, you know, oh, so so she needs a home. And the way he says it, like, that's literally, to me, one of the most heartbreaking lines he says in the uh, entire tragic. series. Totally tragic. Uh, yeah. yeah, when he says that, it's like heart-crushing when he says, so she needs a home. And then she goes on and says, you know, let them know oh, well, no, she threw herself off the tower and she died. And then when she's leaving and she runs her finger across the table and she tells him it's dusty and kind of leans into him and says, maybe you should get a new girl and then leave. I was like, oh, my God, she's so horrible. And I just love her. (laughs) But she was so terrible to him in that scene. She's just, yeah, she was so evil. Like, that line, like, you should get a new girl. Like, I remember thinking to myself, oh, somebody knocked the crown off her head and go, just somebody do something. <laughs> what do, she is horrible. Like, she's just awful. Like, I remember, like, and, and really, you know what, and it doesn't change the fact, like, no matter what, you know, like, no matter what her, my opinion is of her now, that, that is a horrible thing for her to have done. I'm sorry. Like, that is just. That just takes yeah, the cake. Yeah, that, that was terrible. No, yeah, there's no excuse for that kind of behavior. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just kidding on that. But, yeah, she's the evil queen. Of course she's going to do it. But still, um, yeah, I, that scene is just – I remember thinking to myself, like, number one, her hair and her dress were fabulous. But number two, yeah. um, you know, like, she really – and it's funny because I think that it's – like, the fact that Rumpel believed Regina, that he believed that, you know, Belle was gone. Like, I wonder, hmm. hmm. I know, because um, you would think that, I mean, because we know now that he had the power to see, not perfectly clearly, but he could see bits and pieces of things that were going that, to yeah. pass. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. But That's he exactly what I want. See that. Mm. Yeah, it's like she he she was the one thing that he didn't see coming. Like Right. The one right. thing like the one thing he didn't see coming in his life was love. And you know what? What's interesting about that? Maybe he couldn't see it because he didn't really believe that it was going to happen to him or something. Like because you have to oh, cuz he has to believe that it could happen in order for Oh, in order for him to see yeah. the future? Oh, wouldn't that be a thing? Because then that would explain why he could see the future about Bellfire and everything, because he had hope that he could, oh, wow. Cause he yeah, had hope that, that he never felt okay. like he deserved any other kind of love. So right. 
you know, maybe he couldn't see that coming. And did you notice that Belle and Mila both, you know, Mila, his wife from way back when, they both had a blue, it was almost identical, but just a slightly different, that blue dress with a white undershirt. Could dresses women in this or, you know, what what's going on with that? But, yeah, that was something that I noticed, too, about when they finally showed Mila. She also had the, a blue dress with the white undershirt on. Yeah, that's that is a good point because yeah, it's that scene in um, Manhattan actually, when uh, when Balefire is born that yeah she's wearing that dress and then she walks out to go get water and that's when she leaves Rumple with him. Wow, you know what? See, clothes are important. I'm not just crazy. Clothes are important. So. Um, <laughs> Um, Did you get a chance to ask? I I thought I remembered in your interview where you interviewed Adam and Eddie, the creators of the show. um, Didn't you mention to them? Maybe I'm crazy. I thought you mentioned something about color being important. And didn't Eddie say something like, uh, "Yes, definitely." Or maybe someone else asked him. But I thought it was your interview. Somebody mentioned something about color, and he said something like. Yeah, definitely. You have a good eye or something like that for catching things. Um, I don't know. I don't think I don't remember them saying that part of it, but it was my interview at Comic Con um last year in July and I did I actually asked them specifically about the color red and whether or not it means anything and that it seemed to be significant to the show. And uh you know, they said that red means a lot of things. It means, you know, power and passion and you know, all kinds of, you know, it, they said that it means all kinds of things. And it's honestly been so long since I have watched that interview. And <laughs> that whole experience is still such a blur in my brain. Like, and I I can't actually remember most of it. Like, I actually have to go back and watch the interviews themselves or look at pictures to kind of believe that it happened, <laughs> funny enough. Because it was just, it was, my brain was on overload. Like, there was, yeah. Those of you that are new to the fan site, that um, was at San Diego Comic-Con last year. Uh, he was invited as part of Once Upon a Fan to be in the ABC press room. So he got to interview you know, the writers, the actors, the creators of the show, all of that's on the fan site, you know, linked to it. But he got to talk to everybody. You know, he had people signing um, that book, that the storybook replica that we have up for auction for the Stand Up to Cancer that's on auction right now. But he got to, and, and he was telling us through the whole thing how surreal it was, but we were getting to see the interviews even before they were published for our public. And we were all just so over the moon, so proud of Zach. And there's especially the one that sticks out with me is the interview with Jennifer Morrison because she was just, sweet and so you know she went on and on about how you know she knows fans are struggling and going through things and you know she has her ugly duckling but he had such a good experience there and I can imagine how surreal it must be one of those things that you know after it's done you're like did that even happen wait because it was I mean just watching it from a distance was amazing yeah, um, you know, it's, uh, I actually don't have any more notes about the episode, and I have never actually spoken 
about that experience at length <laughs> in any way <laughs> um, ever. Um, I mean, I've talked to you guys about it, but, um, you know, like the staff of Once Upon a Fan, but even then I never really got a chance, I mean, to get into the details of it. Um, that experience was insane. It was just insanity because, and I've actually made, um, I'm in the process of finishing up a documentary that I made about the entire experience, which will probably be um, going out on YouTube in pieces. Um, I have a short version of it right now completed, but it's it's uh, missing a couple of things that I need to add. So I uh, look for that coming in probably, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take me to do it, uh, probably a couple weeks, but yeah, I'll keep you guys posted on that for anybody who's interested in watching it because, um, yeah, but anyways, the interviews um, themselves, like going into the press room, it was insane because, you know, there's, you know, there's all these reporters who are there and there are camera crews and people, you know, like there's lights and there's cameras everywhere and, and you, I, you know, I'm finding my place on the line and it, you know, just, and, you know, so I'm at the same time, you know, I'm thinking to myself, because I actually, I mean, I go to school for video production, and so it's not like I didn't know what to do. I mean, I set everything up, and it was pretty easy. But I've never done anything in that kind of a capacity before. And so, you know, I was really trying to, to be professional and maintain some kind of professional journalism credential, at least in my behavior, even if I don't actually, you know, have one for real, because, you know, I didn't want to look like a complete idiot. <laughs> And totally but we didn't like, want to get invited you know, there by ABC to the press room to be like one of twelve people invited, and then you know, just completely blank. Yeah, you know, like it's not exactly a situation that you want to find yourself in at all because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was really, str- I mean, I was really, really trying to maintain it. But anyways, like, I did really, really well, really, really well with the whole thing until. Um, I mean, yeah, actually, I would have to start that story over again because I met Robert Carlyle on the street randomly the night before, and, I mean, he was just there. It was like magic. I mean, I I, thought, I mean, I talked to him. He took a picture with me and all that. And then the next day when I was in the press room and they announced that the cast was coming in, he was the first person to walk in. And I was actually really at ease because I'd already met him and it was kind of – it wasn't as overwhelming because we'd already met and, you know, we – he and he knew who I was because I told him who I was. I had my my fan site T-shirt on at the time, so he knew exactly who I was. But then after Robert Carlyle walked in, Lana Perea walked in, and I was like, "Oh my God! Like it's her! Like it's Regina! Like the evil queen! Like it's <laughs> Lana Perea! Holy smokes!" And you know, and I'm sitting there really struggling because I know that these people are actors, and I know that they're you know. They're people. They're not literary characters. They're not actually fairy tale people. But it's just such a reality bender a little bit because it's like, okay, like this is my favorite show ever. And it's just surreal because it's not like I meet celebrities on a daily basis or anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, who expects right. that to happen? <laughs> that too. So, so you have to find you know, this balance between completely fanboy freaking out and presenting yourself as a credential press member for one upon a fan. I can just imagine, you know, trying to achieve the ballot. And and it was walking a fine line. And there were some interviews that, you know, like I, I kind of, 
you know, when I was talking to him, I felt they didn't go as well as I had wanted them to, only because, like, when I was talking to Lana Priya, for example, because as, as most, well, for anybody who's already watched them, and most of the regular listeners, you know, who have been listening to the podcast, they already know, but for the new listeners who don't know, when I was talking to Lana Priya, I actually, mid-sentence, I was asking her about the cricket game, and mid-sentence, I stopped and said, I'm sorry, I'm fanboying out right now because I can't believe I'm talking to you and you're the evil queen. Because <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> because seriously, like I was standing there and I knew that she was not really the evil queen and that she was not really magical. But let me tell you, Lana Perea, it, I mean, she was like right there. She was inches from me. And I was just like, holy, oh my God, like this is, I can't believe this is happening. Like you could listen to me right now. I can't even articulate it correctly because it was so overwhelming. I mean, it was just the kind of thing that you don't ever expect to have happen to you. And then, and then in, you know, just the course of a couple of minutes, it was done because that was the thing too, that most people, like, I don't know if you know, and they had told us about this beforehand. I had maybe two or three minutes with each person. That is not very long to ask people questions. And it's especially difficult to ask people questions about something that they can't give you answers on. Because consider right, this, right? Right, because we can't ask minutes. about spoilers. So. Yeah, I can't, it's not like I could say, so tell me what's going to happen with your character in season three, because the answer would have been, well, I can't tell you. So I had right. to try and think something to talk about and try and get some kind of news that you know, mattered that they could actually talk about. But at the same time, I'm, you know, struggling to not completely just be like, holy smokes, I love this show. It's changed my life. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for everything you've ever done ever. Thank you. Like, that was just basically... You're so pretty. Can I pet you? No. (laughs) I mean, no, nothing like that at all. But, like, (laughs) I was really... All I wanted to do the entire time was just thank every single one of them that was standing there for for working on the show because of what it's done for me personally. That was all I really, like, wanted to do. Like, I mean, you know, just for me personally. Like, I wasn't, you know, like... That was all I wanted to do was just tell them thank you so much, like for and all, and that was it. Thank you very much for your time. Don't want to be rude, like you know, go about your business. You know, don't want to interrupt you with nothing. Just <laughs> thank you really quick. <laughs> and then, you know, like just it all happened. And then yeah, when I met Jennifer Morrison, she I means she's this. Yeah, she's already my hero in life. Like Emma is my hero in life, the character. And I said that to her in the interview, and. Just all kinds of, she hugged me, like, I just, oh my God, it was just, it was overwhelming. But the thing about that one was, okay, here's what I got to say about the Jennifer Morrison interview. That interview lasted for almost seven minutes. So, and be, and I don't, and really, she was so, she opened up so much and really talked about, like you said, people struggling, you know, not being able to, you know, having ways of coping with stuff and just, you know, she talked about things that she's learned in, you know, therapy and things like that, like, and she was, she was so relatable, like, I felt like I was talking to just another human being, and it felt like I wasn't the entire time, I know that kind of sounds ridiculous, but, you know, like, for a minute there, it wasn't like I was talking to Jennifer Morrison, the actress, it was like I was just talking to Jennifer Morrison, the person, if that makes right. sense, like, I hope, and that's is the clear. way it came off, too, and, I mean, everybody knows, we've talked about it a million times, like, I'm huge, evil, regal, and I love Lana Perea, but of all of your interviews, even the one with Lana Priya, my favorite from Comic-Con was the one with you and Jennifer Morrison. 
And I liked Jennifer Morrison for a long time because I was a huge House fan. I watched, like, every episode of House from beginning to end, and she played Cameron on that show. So I've liked her for a long time. But I felt like watching that interview with you and J-Mo that, I mean, it wasn't even like, you know, reporter and it was like you two guys, you met, you know, you thanked her. And then it was like you were talking about, you know, real life things. And, you know, she was ta- you're talking about struggles that people go through and how, you know, how much it means to for people to have hope and things to hold on to and to, you know, look forward to and to, you know, people need these things and what a struggle everybody is going through. And I think, you know, she mentioned, you know, be kind to everybody. And it's true because you never know what the people next to you are going through. But that interview, like, has stayed with me forever. I think I cried when I watched that interview, like, the first time or two because it was like you guys were just talking. And it really, I mean, it was not like an actor getting interviewed by a press member. It just seemed like you guys were really talking and it seemed like you had known each other for a while, and, like, you had such a connection, and, like, she wanted to, you know, give you this big hug, and she did. Like, you know, it was that, I feel like that was probably the most amazing, beautiful interview I've, like, ever seen anywhere. I love that. Well, thanks. Because um, let me tell you, at the time, it was a struggle. To I mean, because and because here's the thing about that, and I I just I I kind of really want to get into this because I've I've never talked about this with anybody before. Like I've never talked about it on the fan site at all. Um, when I was talking to Jennifer Morrison, there was a moment, and if you watch the interview at the beginning, you can actually see it happen in front of your face. When I say that I'm Zach with Once Upon a Fan, and she says, "Oh, Once Upon a Fan, I like it." I say, "Yes." So. Now, immediately after I say so, in that split second before I start talking again, I was literally, it was, it was a split second decision, and you can see it happen, because like, there's actually a beat of silence where it happens, and then I start talking. I was faced with the decision of saying, okay, I can go about this interview right now and not tell this woman what her work has done as far as changing my life and how much I appreciate her. Or I can actually just do it and tell her, because as far as I'm aware, this is never going to happen again. And if this is my one chance, my one and only chance to thank my hero for saving my life, I'm going to take it because I may never get to do this again, and she needs to know. So that's, why I, that's honestly why I actually told her all the things that I did because um, I, I just wanted her to know, like, Personally, for me, like that's why I actually said I appreciate your work on a fundamental level because it's changed me as a person. Because that's true. Like, I worked in call centers for 10 years, and after this show came out, I made the decision to stop that, you know, career line, go to school for film production, and actually do what I want to do. Like, this show inspired me to change my life in major ways. I'm not talking about any kind of small decisions. Oh, major life stuff. And really, you know, and, and it kind of helped me deal with, you know, the passing of my mom and a bunch of other stuff. And, again, this is stuff that I haven't really talked about very publicly at all. So, um, yeah, it was just this show meant a lot to me. And talking to Jennifer Morrison, I mean, seriously, but it's, I mean, 
I met her three days before I turned 28, and on Emma's 28th birthday is when the show freaking starts. I mean, I don't know if it could have been more serendipitous than how it happened. I mean, seriously. Like, right. I mean, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, the year that I turned 28 is the year that I, like, you know, started to change my life and, you know, go for my destiny. Like, doesn't that seem, like, you know, kind of, like, almost a little, like, faded, like, or something? Like... Yeah, it just know. and it seems like that. so many big changes happened for you, you know, right, you know, that was just one thing, but it, you've done, like, so much after being inspired. And I think, I mean, really, if you hadn't taken that breath and made that decision, the interview could have gone totally different. But you took a breath, and, like, we could tell, like, you know, it was emotional and meant something to you that you were saying to Jen you know, I really want to thank you for your work. It's meant a lot to me. It's inspired me to change my life and do things because that was the moment when she, you could see she dropped, like, this guard that they have up when they have to usually go to talk to press, and she was completely different in the seconds after you said that. She went from being, you know, okay, I'm being interviewed to, wow, you know, this this really means something. Yeah, I kind of thought so. Like I said, that's when I felt like I was talking to Jennifer the per- Morrison, the person. So, yeah, kind of crazy. Um, so, anyways, now that I've sat here and gabbed for a few <laughs> minutes about, about this, which I'm sorry, everybody, if I'm to, um, we actually only have one minute left of the show. So, just want to let everybody know that next week we are watching Hat Trick for our episode rewatch going to have a lot of the same discussion. I'm still going to be talking about the color red and clothing because it's actually pretty significant in the next episode. Um, we also picked the next episode because it has to do with other worlds. Um, we go to Wonderland in that episode, and of course, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is now its own show. There's also curtains down there in the hat that look just like Oz. So, um, you know, that's kind of the reason why we picked that is because it's, it's directly related to things that are happening in, in the Once Upon a Time universe right now. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be watching Hat Trick, and then after that is an apple red as blood and a land without magic, or the land without magic. Um, we've got 10 seconds left, so thank you, everybody, for listening to us tonight. Um, we will be back next week with our episode rewatch of Hat Trick, and we'll see you then. Good night, everybody.